Hello and welcome to another interview episode from The Clump. This is Pringle. Now, keep an eye on socials. We will be having a full episode soon. (laughs) I keep saying that every episode, but we are still trying to sort things out just now. In the meantime, though, I wanted to sit down with uh, Luca and Kim from the podcast How Not. Now, they're both jazz musicians based down in London and they recently started up a podcast where not only do they brush up on music, but they do talk about a lot of political, cultural and social issues now happening in the UK at the moment and also just prevalent things that are happening in the world. Um, and they also brush up upon certain key figures in culture like Keith Haring, Vivian Westwood and, and George Michael was a recent episode as well. And I wanted to sit down with them to talk to them about not only music, but creativity as a whole, uh, the political space that we live in at the moment, something like cancel culture as well comes up, and we do also have a recommendation of the week. All the information that we talk about will be in the show notes, so please, once you've had a listen to the episode, go check out the links that we provide below, and also make sure you subscribe to the How Not podcast, because they are absolutely fantastic. They had a recent episode on prison abolition that you should definitely go check out, and we actually make mention to that at the start. Um, I bring up the name John. Now, John was in prison for over 40 years, and is now recently freed and has become a political activist for uh, prison abolition. And I remember... I was on the bus listening to this episode and and, and getting really uh, emotional but also really inspired by what they were talking about, what they were discussing Um, and I just thought it was absolutely brilliant and I urge you to go listen to not only that episode but listen to the podcast as a whole because it does uh, bring up a lot of current issues that are happening in the world right now and it's just really entertaining to listen to these two very well-spoken people Um, just go off on certain topics and uh, really present a lot of useful information not only for you as the listener but for themselves as well as hosts Uh, and they mention this in the in the interview as well so without further ado enjoy take two We'll do a take two. Yeah, absolutely fine. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. Don't you worry. Listen, as a vocalist, I'm sure you're, you're the amount of annoyances you have with microphones is just. I know. I'm thinking of giving ridiculous. it up. Honestly. <laughs> you know what? This whole music thing—it's not for me. <laughs> this is where Luca announces his retirement on this podcast. Yeah, you heard exactly. it here first. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is where the podcast ends, actually. Yeah. Um, I'll put this at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Okay, let's start at the beginning. Um, so, I just want to know the history of both yourself, Luca and Kim, um, and just sort of the where you got, how you got from where you started in the music uh, scene all, all the way over to the podcast and how you guys got together, etc. So, if you guys want to talk about your individual lives and then we'll we'll move towards the podcast and you guys can talk amongst yourselves about that that'd be great yeah i'll talk about my life why not (laughs) um i grew up in glasgow and i love glasgow so so much um even though i currently live in london um i need both in my life it's like my heart is in two places and i couldn't Mm. be in one without the other um but i'm very thankful that i was able to grow up in glasgow because it's a buzzing city full of amazing creative stuff and arts and 
culture and bands and although I didn't kind of grow up in a family of trained musicians there were you know my family have always loved music and art and parties and there was always someone kind of half cut with a guitar in the corner playing tunes so that definitely was like an integral part of my upbringing as a kid and I really loved music and I was really privileged that my family were able to um get me like private music lessons um I really wanted to be like a bit of a punk or a rock star but my fingers were a bit too fat to play the guitar or I couldn't be arsed practicing really um so I then kind of was convinced into learning the piano which gave me a good kind of musical grounding despite me not knowing it at the time and then blah 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 like played in bands in Glasgow and was just really gassed that I got to play all these venues when I was probably maybe 13 14 and they would give you free beer and all that um and then I just fell into this weird thing called jazz and it was like a language that I didn't have a clue what it meant or how to speak it or how to communicate but that kind of excited me so I started to immerse myself yeah. in jazz music and improvised music and that kind of has led me to go and do a degree in music and take it you know everything's my music training's become more and more formal over the years but I certainly came from a background of just getting up and doing a turn as we say you know that was kind of where it all started for me but yeah that in a nutshell that's kind of it and, and now I'm somebody that does lots of different creative things and that's really important to me yeah. you know not just being one not just having one outlet to express my creativity but we'll probably talk a bit about that later but yeah absolutely yeah and, and Kim what's what sort of been your start in the music industry or in the music scene in general um I guess kind of similar to Luca so my parents um love music but aren't musical themselves for me um finding jazz was through a a, a really brilliant music teacher that I had in secondary school, John Gurley. Um, and it was like a, it was lovely to have something that was just mine. You know, I didn't have parents that, that were kind of, what's the phrase, like tiger parents pushing me to do something. Um, it was something I could just sort of explore on my own. Um, and so similar to Luca, I kind of moved south to study jazz. And then over the past sort of 10 or 11 years have been the, the a journey of trying to figure out exactly how to take that formal training and then kind of use it to figure out what I want to do. So um, I've, like Luca, you know, kind of my my creative career is kind of split into a number of different things. So um, improvised music is definitely a part of it, but certainly it's uh, it's been quite a journey since kind of studying uh, jazz in like a formal setting to what I'm doing mm-hmm. now. Okay, great. And and then from there, um, where did this idea of the podcast come about? How did it come about? And I, what's that connection between yourselves that led you to creating this uh, podcast? Well, I think like we'd always been aware of each other and, and well, we knew each other and, and Scottish folk in London just... Mm. Uh, you know the the remote connection of anyone north of london becomes your best pal um no matter yeah. how many times you've met each other previous and um i always like felt that me and kim were on a wavelength and and i don't know i guess more and more we were like chatting about similar things that we were into like online and then i wanted to have a chat with kim for a mailing list thing that i was doing where i was speaking to different creative people that i loved um, and it was kind of like a podcast thing, but not as posh. It was just like a chat. Um, 
Yeah. And it was like recorded on my phone, you know. And then I think it was Kim that was like, <laughs> why don't we just do a podcast? And I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Is that, am I remembering this right? Is that kind of what happened? Yeah. Yeah. I sent Luca a sort of list of like, here's the things that would be really fun to talk about. And the list became quite long. And it was like, actually, we should probably just co host a yeah, podcast. Yeah. We have like together. a year's worth of um, content already. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And then. And then it it, it fell together really yeah. smoothly, actually. I think we were both, well, certainly for me, I was definitely prepared to do the kind of DIY thing to start with. You know, we both said, yeah. oh, you know, well, it was, it was also during lockdown, but, you know, we've got we've got home mic setups. We'll just do that and we'll kind of figure out the editing. But then someone, yes, a very brilliant man that, that Luca knows was came on board as well. And so it right from the start we've been lucky enough to record in a proper studio with a proper sort of engineer and producer which has been amazing yeah we're dead lucky to have sam actually and and also like it was funny though because we'd not seen each other in well over a year maybe two years or something um yeah and like obviously like you can suss out that folk are on your wavelength but we actually had no idea what our chemistry on mic would be you know like I was talking to a pal recently about she had like an audition for like a chemistry read for this like film or whatever she's an actor and I thought in a sense that's kind of what happened with us right like I I mean that's what's happening with us just now the three of us like you have no idea what your rapport is going to be like with somebody and and luckily neither of us could fucking shut up so it's brilliant (laughs) and and we kind of went brilliant well we can do that again that's gonna work and and yeah here we are it was nice to, yeah, we finished it, you know, like like we said, they're not edited, so it just kind of ran for like, and then we finished, and we are like, how long was that? It was like an hour and ten minutes. Okay then, great, we'll just see you next week. Yeah, okay, we, we, right, we literally great. walk in, <laughs> Do your talk thing. shit, and yeah. walk out. <laughs> like, it's, it sounds so divish, but it is kind of what No, I no, I love that, because I think it's so interesting that you guys have that rapport with each other where you can go in just go in and talk about talk about a particular topic just so cohesively and then just finish and that's it you don't need to worry any about anything else which i thought when you said to me that the podcast isn't really edited that's just that 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 blows my mind (laughs) because i think it's just (laughs) i I think it also depends because the the group that we as a group when we record we have different conversations and we talk about different things and i think it's it's trying to find that way where it's like is there a lot of fat to trim from the content that we have and then mm-hmm. that's when we start going to the whole editing process but with you two right. it just seems like there's a lot of things that you've talked about in the past that has led to you when you go into these conversations like right we know what we want to talk about this is this this is the conversation and it just leads off from there and i think that's absolutely incredible that you guys have that Thank you so much. I mean, I think we just, it's interesting what you were saying there because I think we just love our fat. That's <laughs> yeah, the thing. We do. We keep the fat the on. We don't, we don't skim the milk. Like we give you everything. <laughs> That's the, the yeah. kind of point of it is that you're literally a fly on the wall mm. in me and Kim's date in the week to catch up, you know? And quite often we haven't actually spoken about, I mean, a couple of the things we'd spoken about before, but like sometimes they're quite, you know the most recent episode that came out you know was something that was super new to me i was there to yeah. learn and yeah we had guests and stuff but sometimes it's something that you've not been able to give much thought to until the, in that moment and all you're getting is our gut reactions our emotional responses yeah. to what's going on that's it because we had to chat beforehand like what did we want the sort of set you know what do we want the vibe of it to be what did we want to use it for we sort of made a list of 
you know, kind of people we would like to talk about and issues we would like to talk about. That's kind of broadly how the episodes are kind of split in two. Um, and obviously found that there's a lot of crossover between kind of the things that we're interested in. But I guess that Venn diagram, we've both got things that we can bring that the other one isn't isn't um, aware of, which is in itself a really brilliant That's thing because so you get true. a chance to like delve into this new thing. You and know? also like even our lenses, like our, our narratives, yeah. the way we, we're, we're different, slightly different generations, like slightly different, you know, people yeah you know exactly. we're just you you know we bring shared experience and different experience which is yeah yeah fun. and i think we what we've ended up doing so we built that list of of people and issues and that sort of become a sort of mood board if you want for like that set us up to be this that's the type of stuff we want to talk about but it's actually quite nice to leave it open because like we notice that think well things massive things happen in a week in the world between us getting together to so talk true. Yeah. and so it's quite nice to be have the flexibility to say like okay what shall we what should we talk about a few days in advance give us a chance to like settle our thoughts but not be kind of tied down to a schedule of like here's the next six months of what we're going to talk about because we're going to miss totally. stuff that way you know it, it's a good mixture i think of um spontaneity and and planning in a way it's that's trying to find that in between part that gives you the best i think i think it just gives you the best idea of of how the conversation will go mm. um and you don't need to worry too much about is this going to be relevant or not but you know in a few weeks time or what have you i mean i, I I'm, I'm thinking about your first episode we talked about the killed bill mm. and the whole right of protest and that's still you know even though it's been a few weeks since then it's still so informative and full of and, and just full of useful resources that you can pick up on and useful points you can pick up on as you go down the line and and again it links into your newest episode um yeah. where you spoke to someone who is in a system where there's a lot of oppression there's a lot of corruption etc and i think it's just such a fascinating link between the two um one thing i wanted to talk about i think in terms of in terms of your content overall is how you do change weekly you do change the topic every so often to a different to i feel like it's like you mix it up between um a particular issue that's happening a social issue a political issue what have you and then you do a sort of showcase of an individual um so for example you had the vivian westwood episode the keith herring episode which i absolutely love by the way um and also the george michael episode mm. um one thing i will say about keith herring i was actually in vna museum in dundee mm -hmm. on uh, sat uh on saturday and they did they are doing an exhibit right now called Night Fever, which is about discotheques and clubs, the whole history of it. Amazing. And Paradise Paradise Garage came up and Keith Haring was there and I was like, yeah. I know this. <laughs> I know this now. Because no, um, I, I knew a little bit I knew a little bit about the the sort of the club, etc. I'm slowly getting into the idea of disco and EDM and, and techno music mm. and seeing that connection was just so mind blowing to me. But um I think it's I don't know obviously with George Michael there's that and with Vivian Westwood there's links to music do you feel like with your podcast do you think that's a, do you find yourself when you look into topics do you try and bring your background of music into it or do you feel like that's more of a, like a natural thing that happens when you discuss about particular topics so when you're doing a Vivian Westwood showcase etc do you sort of talk about do you think about well my relationship with music can talk can then lead on to certain other topics in your conversation I, i've never been conscious about that at all mm. um and i think it's because my 
uh, you know, music is such a huge part of my life. Every single day, every minute, I'm probably thinking about music in some context. But I'm also thinking about creativity, holistically, art, fashion, you know, drama, stories, you know. So for me, it's the, one of the most freeing things that I've been able to do is just like think about all these creative outlets as one big, beautiful thing as opposed to like segmenting them off in some way. You know, I try and not come sure. from the lens of being a musician all the time and instead just somebody that really appreciates like of course I have disciplines that I'm trained in and like I can't you know I can't draw for shit like I'm not going to sit there and tell someone about that but like that but I'm I'm somebody that's creative and and I try you know especially with the podcast this was all just about us talking about stuff we love and like for me talking like and chatting is like I'm 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 we're improvising we're riffing we're you know like it's totally like we're having our own musical conversation as and so i try not think oh from a musician's perspective this could <laughs> sure, be i never yeah. really think think of that but of course when we talk about viv we're talking about the punk movement of course when we talk about keith herring there's so much musical backdrop there with paradise garage and yeah the music that he was listening to i mean for him music and his art was so intersectional and i think all good uh, no, it's no um probably no coincidence that everything we've done so far has had a an intersectionality to it in terms of the the creative aspect there's been lots of different plates spinning i think because we're interested in lots of different plates yeah that's one of the things I, i've always really loved about luca and felt a sort of kinship with is that um so i i sort of felt coming out of studying music formally a little bit stifled um i felt like i um almost like to like any other art form was a betrayal to my training um and it was something actually that our first guest, Feeney Behrman, talked about when you choose to be a professional, you, you express yourself professionally, right? Which is mental. That's a really weird thing to do. But weirdly, you choose a really narrow little track in which to do that. Yeah. And that that felt like a really articulate way to sum up what I'd always felt a little bit like I was always interested in like literature and visual arts and fashion and all that stuff. And and then the more you step back, the more you see all these connections and links. And like, I think what, that was one of the things that I guess that is probably something that we are drawn to in other people. So when we, we were drawn to someone like Vivian Westwood because, like, you know, specifically because she was involved in lots of things that intersected rather than just staying in her, staying in her lane. lane, if you want. Absolutely. And I think, I think, um, I, yeah, I feel like as a creative myself, or at least a part-time creative, um, you know, I, I find myself finding, I find it hard to go through these different avenues of if I wanted to do acting, for example, like I was in a youth theatre group as a, as a child, but I have no, I didn't really, once I was into my music a lot more, I was a lot more passionate about that than I was about the acting, but then I'm like, well, why why don't you give the acting a proper go? And it's just, I I do think that's a, that's a really great point that it's it's not necessarily a narrow path you choose to go down as a creative. The whole point of being a creative is to express yourself creatively, no matter no matter yeah. no matter how you choose, what discipline you go down, etc. You you want to find some ways to incorporate creativity in various facets. Um. So no, I I really appreciate um you both talking about that um what i did also want to get into was your both of your politics um obviously that's your that's uh, for for the podcast you talk about a lot of political issues etc um 
how yeah. how do you feel since you've started doing the podcast how do you feel like your politics have been informed from that in any way or if there's anything that you've maybe thought like Luca you mentioned the um when you were doing the latest episode on prison abolition I I myself was absolutely floored by some of the things that John mentioned in the in the interview um right. and I'll, I'll put a link to all, all all the episodes we talk about I'll put a link to your podcast as well in the show notes so people do get to listen to them because I think there's a lot of great uh people that you speak to about these issues and um John was definitely one of them. When you approach a topic like that, how much does that affect you in terms of your way of thinking about politics and your way of thinking about the current systems that we are living in at the moment, especially in the UK for our American uh, listeners? I think it's, well, I think part of it is it's a real privilege to be able to pick something that we're interested in and spend time like researching it for a start. And then for me, the way that I sort of really truly understand something is to discuss it with someone. So it's like this whole thing is just a learning process that's recorded essentially. But um, yeah. I think, you know, obviously it was hard at the start because Luca's a raging conservative, but we've managed to like... Uh... <laughs> Beat that out of me. It's a big stick. <laughs> it's all been revealed now. It's all coming out now. <laughs> um, I think that I t- something that both Luca and I seem to be quite sort of like, mischievously drawn to are topics that would be considered taboo or uncomfortable to talk about for me i think that if something's made to feel uncomfortable it means it's important um and so i think we're definitely someone who wants to sort of pick at that little little crack and sort of open it up a little bit um and like almost kind of embrace that and really talk openly i think for me I last year I was asked to write an article of, about um, gender politics and jazz, and I'd done loads of talks on that. But it actually I felt a little bit sort of daunted for a while putting it on paper, and I realised the reason I felt daunted was because I was worried about someone picking me up on an inaccurate point or someone saying someone five years down the line bringing something up that I changed my mind on and going and then I sort of worked through that and got to the point where I'm I'm completely happy if if at some point someone listens to like the the latest episode we did prison abolition if someone listens to that in 10 years and my opinion on it's completely changed I'm comfortable with that and I I completely stand by the fact that when we recorded that I was completely in it but if I change my mind that's okay as well um, and I think that, especially politics, things change so quickly and there's there's no sort of absolutes. But I don't think, I think, well, I'm sure it's clear, but I, I don't think either of us go into it, like, pretending that we're experts on anything. We're just trying to figure our way through all this stuff, you know? That's what I was just about to say, Kim, beautifully put. I mean, we've, we never claim to be spokespeople for anyone but ourselves. Even then, I'd, I'd be hesitant to say I'm my own spokesperson because I'm out of shit that comes up <laughs> my mouth. But like, it, it's honestly a beautiful thing because not only do I get to sit and talk about things I love with my mate, it's like, actually, this is a learning process that's just been recorded. And I've learned so much just from having the the energy and the privilege to get into these kind of topics, but also to to connect with new people like we did in the most recent episode and to, to you know, I feel it was such a privilege to get that opportunity to sit 
opposite John and hear those experiences directly. But equally, it's like, you know, I, I've always been involved in a certain degree of activism, but I'm not, I'm not an organiser. I can't dedicate my life to organising, community organising, like some amazing, like true activists do, I suppose, if we're talking about practical activism. Because uh, I've always had my, my creative stuff and I've, you know, there's always been merges there as well. But this podcast, in terms of the political content, is a beautiful outlet for my activism. What can we do in our lives? And it, if we can't go out every fucking day yeah. and like scream and shout... And and I do what I can, but it's like we can do this. Yeah. We can open up a discussion. We can give platform to people, to ourselves. We can learn together. We can create this community of people that are like energized but don't know where to direct that energy or or don't know that there's other people out there that think the same. So that that is what it's about for me. It's a beautiful outlet for my for my kind of um raginess. <laughs> incredibly well put (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i I think it's so i think that's such a great idea as well to have a podcast as an outlet just simply based off the fact that you're absolutely right as a creative you are limited to the amount of what you can do outside of you know trying to work out your own personal work on top of dealing with this activism and and trying to go out there and do something important to the world and do you find do do you both find it quite difficult sometimes to find that balance between creativity and activism in some way or do you how do you guys try and strike a balance between the two outside of the podcast how how do you guys go about your activism in a way well I was gonna actually say as you were saying that I was like in a way it is all one though like yeah uh, you know what is that great quote like art an artist's duty is to do nothing but reflect the times in which you're living in so like in a sense like everything that comes from my being will even if it's from like a personal place it's still reflective of the world that I'm living in and and I'm someone that's very sensitive to my environment and what's going on around me so I believe that in everything I create there will be a reflection of the bigger picture and the landscape of what's going on but yeah in terms of like practical stuff like you know there's certainly activists that are out there like on the front line all the time and i know that i can't be that person um so i i I used to feel really guilty about that but actually since having the podcast it's been a really nice way of being able to take up that space for me because i you know i struggled a lot with caring so much about these huge topics and never feeling and feeling really helpless like nothing i i could ever do was enough um, and that's the beauty in going to big protests and stuff because you've suddenly realized that there's so much you can do together. But just as one human being, you know, you get battle weary. You know, you need to take breaks. If you're Absolutely, out there on the yeah. front line, like it, it does take it out of you. And, and I've gotten to that point myself before. So this is like a nice, I feel like I'm finding my groove now where it's like there's a bit more balance and there's a beautiful intersection between creativity and my politics and my, what I give a shit about all kind of coming into one. But I don't know how Kim feels. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I went through, I sort of, I guess maybe sort of three or four years ago now. I mean, I studied at Leeds Conservatoire and so was like live, lived in the north of England for um the five or six years. Um right and when i was doing you know a lot of playing and i was playing in lots and lots of venues around kind of the in the north um i would a lot of those spaces tend to be like 
work in men's clubs or sports clubs that are then used for performances. And that, what I was never aware of until I reflected back on it when I was much older is that they were quite sort of politically conservative spaces. And actually what I realised was there was this massive disconnect between what I believed in politically and ethically and morally and what I was doing as an artist. They were basically two different people. And I felt like I couldn't bring one into the other because they were so remote. And so it was a really, gra- for me, it was a really gradual um, kind of understanding of, well, I don't want there to be versions of myself. I don't want to be, here's the artist version and then here's the political version. And I don't want, I don't want to ever say something, um, you know, in private to a friend of mine that I wouldn't stand by if it was like on the, on the newspaper headlines, in a public right? space or something yeah. yeah and so it was really gradual thing for me so it to be honest it started off with um feeling comfortable like wearing kind of political clothing to gigs even if the music mm. itself was not kind of connected to that sort of radicalism and then kind of moving to like the music that we do with of a quartet called family band and that's increasingly become you know quite a, a really open space to be quite sort of so there's very clearly political content in that music not all of it but some of it and so it's it's taken a few years for me to understand how to take that space properly but also how to be sort of authentically myself and to feel um brave enough to do that um wherever i am and sort of stand by what i'm doing and accept that there might be criticism that comes with that or whatever but i w- i would rather do that then I guess I would feel cowardly if I believed in prison abolition but used the podcast to talk about, like, some foofy thing that was nothing to do with these issues, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of... I feel that's kind of kind of issue that I can run into sometimes as well where, you know, I think a big argument that people make is that there shouldn't be politics and music, which is ridiculous. The, the entire premise of... The, the entire premise of these various genres coming out, etc., are based upon some sort of event that's happened that's called you know you look at the history of jazz for example it is filled with a ton of racial inequality sexism uh, misogyny etc and it's the idea of music as a concept is is is, is not political in the slightest is, is absolutely absurd and i think i we we run into that problem where if we are talking about a particular topic we can't say let's try and avoid the politics of certain things like recently we talked about the rapper slow tie for example Mm -hmm. we talked about his album he's a very flawed person Mm -hmm. incredibly flawed person and he's done some bad things and we can't just talk about it without mentioning what he's done previously and i feel like you know when you when you if you were to talk about uh, a figure like vivian westwood you understand as well that she's been involved with people that you not you don't necessarily agree with like she is uh she is a fan of the royal family i personally don't agree with the royal family in any way so i i i, I think it's great that you guys are able to ma- you guys are able to pick up on a topic go at it and understand that there are political elements to it there are social elements to everything that we talk about in life um and yeah i i, I can't think of a single situation where that doesn't happen no, because it's life. It's life, yeah. It's yeah. everywhere. Like, people think of politics as this thing that happens in the world somewhere and they can just kind of shut shut their eyes and it doesn't exist. And, I mean, I kind of fucking hate that word anyway because it's like, what does it even mean? It's like, no, really what all we're talking about is like, is like struggle, 
community, activism, like it's it's these kind of things actually that are then you know because because you could you could not talk about the traditional political system and have like days of conversation on politics. Yeah, you know we're not just talking about the buffoons and their suits sitting in Westminster. We're talking about people's lives and 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 injustice and on such a bigger scale and belief and and systems and that's just like life really isn't it that's just like shit yeah. we, we all go through shit and we all have our stuff that we need to yeah and i talk think about and sort out. society is really good at like encouraging this sort of binary so someone does one bad thing and suddenly we have to cancel their entire life um and and also encourages this sort of hero worship in people celebrity right. culture encourages hero worship and actually there is no person on earth that i you know every single move they've made and thing they've said i agree with but i don't think it detracts from the you know i think these things all exist we're all multitudes we're yeah. all contradictions within ourselves and so i think it's you know when we yeah all those examples like you know vivian westwood's a good example you know she there's lots and lots of stuff that we love about her and then there's lots we disagree with, and all of that's totally fine. That's all. Yeah, what and, life and, is. and like, it's like you you can appreciate someone without wanting to be them. Yeah. As well, yes. because the fact is that the three of us, like me, you, and Viv, are like completely different human beings that share a lot of the same things, but are vastly different. And also, I agree with what you're saying, Kim. Like, we have such a danger of idolizing folk in popular culture. And to an unhealthy degree where it's like anything they say goes and and it's like, you know, they can go unchallenged a lot of the time or um or they, they, they put one foot wrong and suddenly it's... Exactly. It like idolising and, like, and demonising. We do it both exactly. ways. And yeah, neither it's too of them extreme are rather yeah. than there's, there's no kind of subjectivity. In some, in some ways it's like, it's almost accidental in some way because I think we do... I think naturally we do link ourselves with some celebrities like for well depending on who the celebrity is like for example you know there's a lot of left-wing youtubers that I watch um and you know there's been a couple that have been shown to be criticized for certain things and I in some ways feel a sense of disappointment in myself for thinking that you know I I appreciate what they do etc but at the end of the day you know I I still appreciate like uh, maybe like they put out a video that had some really salient points that i agree with i don't necessarily need to be like oh well i i subscribe to their entire world belief i subscribe to what they talked about and the points that they made but i don't necessarily feel like i identify myself based on them in any way because i think that's that at that point it starts to become a toxic way of thinking where it's like you have to think like these people that you admire and you think like these people that you um appreciate in the art world and then you end up you know you, a lot of people will say they were huge kevin spacey fans yeah. and then when this whole thing came with kevin spacey it's like it, you get to the point where people are starting to try and defend him because he's because they've just been so invested in him as an artist yeah and i think it's just so interesting that idea of the parasocial relationship that you would have with these celebrities and how they end up it just ends up you end up you know feeling horrible inside because you, you you can't hold these relationships back and you can't 
take away any sense of belonging to another person. Definitely. You know? But this is the thing. We, we, shame. We're just constantly made to feel guilt yeah. and shame for everything. You know, and sure. like, I love some of Michael Jackson's music. I don't, right. you know. Great and example. It's, and it's, but as as well as it being, you know, I'm not going to stop loving it in light of everything else, but also to recognise that Michael Jackson's music is not the product of just one person. Michael Jackson's right. music is a huge number of people putting their lives to something. And yep. take John in our last episode as an example. Now, you know, I th- like Luca, I think I've I felt really privileged to to have that con- to meet John because he's not someone that I would run into in my life ever, you know, unless you and 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 for that it does really make open my eyes to how, how easy it is to become kind of insulated with your community. But take someone like John, who, when he was a young man, when he was a teenager, he did something, he was involved in the murder of someone else and and has spent, you know, a massive amount of time and to his own admission has done things that were bad and things that were good. And you have a conversation with him and it covers all of those things from the bad things that he did and also, you know, to, to what he does now. And, and it's very easy to write someone like John off. If you see him on a, on, a, you know, in the headlines of a newspaper, if you see a picture of him, if you hear what he's done, it's very easy to be like, you're a baddie, get away. I don't want to be anywhere near you. But the story is never that simple. And it's, it's really, it makes us all feel safe to believe it's that simple, but it's actually not, you know, he's, he's he is as likely to have that life as any of us are. It's just that circumstances were different. It's like, John is someone that is so, like, has the ability to be so vulnerable in such a strong way to bear his soul and just, and to be nothing but himself and to speak so directly about his own stuff. And this is exactly what, you know, it, it was it was a shame, you and when you were saying about those YouTubers getting called out about something and then that made you feel guilty for liking their stuff. And I was like, but I have way more respect for someone that gets called out and then continues the conversation and is able to move on from it and learn from it. Like, what is, what, what the, what are we all trying to achieve if, every time someone puts a foot wrong they're out the game we're never going to get anywhere like i have like said things done things like like you know like i'm we're all growing up right we're Mm -hmm. all learning we're all and and this is a huge thing about social media activism as well if you're not well read enough you're shamed if you share something that's not researched you're shamed if you share the wrong thing and suddenly in 24 hours you could have completely been cancelled without even you know and yes we all need to stay informed and you know it's, it's our responsibility to source our information to listen to the right people to to support who we support but equally you know to be vulnerable and to not give in to shame and to say listen i'm here to learn is one of the most powerful things that you can do besides as powerful as shouting and about stuff i think definitely well i think there was a great a great example actually of, of that kind of use of social media actually look i was at the video that you talked about um the uk jazz scene and the various allegations within that scene of sexual allegations and and misogyny within that jazz scene and i think it just it, it's such an it's such an interesting this it was such an interesting video for me because again it's another thing that i'm 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 interested in jazz but i'm not familiar with the jazz scene at all um 
certainly not as much as you two are and um, so it was so it was so eye-opening for me to have that information presented in such a way now i sh- i ended up sharing that because i was like well, this is interesting information i want to get it out there i wouldn't you know if if, if one of my friends who i know is a, 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 not a jazz musician but is really interested in jazz doesn't you know they maybe don't share anything like that i don't feel like i need to go say to him like please share this etc I don't feel like I have an obligation to do that. I am interested in having a conversation with that. But at the end of the day, what I hope to do is I hope someone sees that and takes it in themselves. Mm-hmm. If they want to then take that information and share it out, even better. But I'm not, I don't feel like I need to put anybody down if they're maybe not wanting to put that onto their social media feed for any for any other reason. Because, um, you know, I, I think personally as well, we're leading back to the whole idea of this sort of, this um, burden sometimes that's placed on people who maybe take part in activism where they feel very tired of having to fight continuously about fighting these causes or even reading about it in the news you know sometimes it can be a bit overbearing for a lot of people who are like i just can't i can't be bothered with another and it's you know in in the past year i think it's just like the news every single day is just getting it's just more and more and more weight on people's backs so if someone were to say on social say that they don't want to post anything anything more on social media i don't think that's something you can criticize no absolutely not it's just i think it's the thing of like we're all so desperate to be right all the time so zadie smith said (laughs) that that was that's like the scourge of her sort of generation and class you know the middle classes that are sort of in their 40s and 50s are sort of the pinnacle of this especially those on the left but actually everyone this kind of massive push we have to be right all the time and and that's why you get this mob mentality online because the the lure of being on the right side of something and shaming someone for being on the wrong side is like intoxicating yeah and it's like it's actually like it's it's such a bizarre thing that sort of that kind of set you know i would need to be right about everything and nothing else no context matters around anything and there's a right and wrong answer it's just like it really stunts conversations you know it's why so many people don't want to have conversations about politics because they don't want to they don't want to be shown up or they don't want to be embarrassed it's shame and it's yeah, like yeah. it's absolutely fine like it's you know people who decide to bring politics into their life or don't all of that is fine like it's all allowed all of the things that we're doing are allowed and it's so easy to shame everyone because it makes you feel better but and i think something i listened to a podcast recently about a woman who'd created an app called block party which is about how to like a user centric app to block um twitter uh, responses essentially um wow. and she was talking about the fact that the internet is so young that we've got laws to kind of deal with the most extreme versions of behavior but what the internet hasn't done yet is built a kind of social construct so we don't have any social norms we just have the extreme sort of legal end of like we know what's legally defined as hate speech but there's all the stuff in the middle and no one has any kind of social etiquette around the internet so it's just this like it's just this gladiator pit at the moment it's just like a snake pit it's absolutely hideous and until we learn that we're just gonna like kill each other just you know Mm-hmm. shaming each other it's, it's also it's also this idea of like the law i think as well the systems we have in place right now and in, in terms of law and justice are very they're based on very old concepts and very old portions of, of our history and they've only they've more or less just sort of 
change small things to sort of keep up with the way we're working in society mm. but the problem is right now with as, as you said the internet is a very young it's a very new thing for us it's only going to get more and more advanced as we as we progress with technology and i feel like sometimes the law doesn't really know how to catch up with it no. in any way and Not in some ways all. you have to yeah. yeah sometimes you have to think about how do we change how do not how we change a particular law how do we change or look at the system as a whole yeah to then say right we are able to then take all take all these concepts keep them tweak them in some ways but in some uh, but then there's these all these all these really dated concepts let's just well the, th- get them out. the thing is you've still got like in some little you know some little towns in England, you've still got weird bylaws from the 1600s that say you're allowed to shoot people with arrows on a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, uh, yeah, no, absolutely, the law yeah. is it moves at such a glacial pace, and now we're so used to this sort of instant, this sort of instant gratification, this massively quick change of life that we all. But the law is like dragging behind. It doesn't move like that. That's not how it works. So I guess what we have to, like you said, what we have to do is like acknowledge that that's going to there's only so much we can speed that up we have to deal with the stuff ourselves well it's like john was saying you know the prison abolition issue is part of a much wider issue about like massive societal change it yeah, doesn't we, change on its own you know we will not achieve it under the current circumstances yeah. in which we function um yeah absolutely and i think this is making me think about something slightly related as well which is like in a creative context you know when you have a platform on social media as a creative and people you know i feel like i have a really interesting intersect of people that might follow me on social media maybe people that have come to a gig maybe people that like my music maybe people that have met me in the pub maybe people that follow me for some kind of they like to hear about the podcast or stuff i talk about politically so i'm like okay so i'm quite comfortable being all of these things and none of them and one of them and you know i try and really not feel pressured to be something all the time but i have felt it you know and it almost if you're someone that likes to you know give your art bring your art and your politics and your identity all together then sometimes you're in danger of constantly people look to you as some kind of spokesperson on things when you're just figuring it out as well and or you know you realize that the kind of gigs that you're getting booked like i'm sure you've had this kim like when people do approach you to like write things you think well is this coming from an authentic place or is this because they've got like a women's history month thing coming up and have not booked anyone you know and it's it's this awkward space to be in as an artist so it's and and i really look to other people like um, I'm thinking about people like like from a queer perspective, like Alok and Jamie Windust here in the UK, and right. like a few act- people that I've seen online that have really managed to step back and go. Actually, I'm going to stop talking about all the negative things that I'm trying to fight against and raise awareness of. I'm only going to talk about the good stuff because we know the negative stuff exists, and I'm part of this movement. But I want to celebrate myself and my community and my narrative as much as i'm having to talk about all the shit bits so i think politically that's an interesting thing as well it's like let's find things that we can actually (laughs) enjoy talking about like we do with the podcast you know one week we're talking about george michael and how fucking much of a banger club tropicana is (laughs) next we're talking about prison abolition you know you've got to weigh it up haven't you've got to balance it so no, I love that. I, lo- I, I think that's I think that's such a great idea of just that idea of balance is 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 so important 
to whatever you do as not only as like if you're a creative balance is important but also if you you know if you're just your average joe who's maybe just going about life doing a nine-to-five job it's important to think what what am i what am i focusing on am i focusing on what's happening in the world around me are there things in my life that i need to focus on etc um are there certain things that i'm interested in hobbies that i like how do that how does that work in my life and i think mm. it's such an interesting idea of how we balance everything together and i, I really appreciate you telling me about that um what i want to do just now a bit of a swerve just going going i i really like that conversation about the you know the, the general ideas that you guys have behind your podcast etc i want to talk a bit more about the your current your current living situations at the moment so kim how long how you've been how long have you been living down south for i've been living in england for kind of 13 years maybe been living in london for the last like five five years five or six years um yeah and then uh, look uh you've you've recently uh, not recently but i think it was like the last year or so that you've moved down no, no, I moved to London, it'll be like four years ago oh, in September. <laughs> That's me so and my like, poor research. <laughs> no, no, you're grand. Well, I mean, it's not quite, it'll be four years like in, in August, September. Right, okay. Because um, I'm just finishing my degree now and I moved here to study. Right, I see. School, so, okay. Yeah. And so you two have been engaged in this scene, the jazz scene down, down, down in England for a while and you guys always have a lot of... Um, experiences from that how do those experiences differ from up when you were living in scotland and you were involved in that jazz scene up there we probably have quite different yeah i think we do this. have quite different experiences so as well as me being 100 years older than luca um i <laughs> i yeah so there wasn't a jazz course in scotland when i lived right. there which was the, the i guess a big reason of, of why i moved out of scotland um but also, I guess, um, so I'm from the East Coast, so it was Edinburgh where I was doing the majority of my gigs and, and my sort of playing and stuff. And I, at that point, I'm not saying that it didn't exist, but I certainly wasn't equipped to find it. The sort of people that were making the music that I wanted to make or interested in the things I was interested in. Um, and so one of the things I really love about being in London is how much, you know, the how easy access we have to every cultural experience at like the just the click of your fingers you know so like the last episode we talked about a play Luca had been to I'd just gone to the RA to see this Tracy Emin exhibition like th that is extraordinary to live in London and just think like whatever it is you want to see or do or eat or whatever you will be able to find maybe not in the last year but you know that normally yeah, recently um, yes and so that was a that was a big shift for me coming from you know quite a small place um, in Scotland and coming to this kind of enormous kind of international cultural centre um, but also just you know not being tapped into it's actually like after I moved south the the, the work I've done in Scotland since has, has, has been kind of Glasgow based so working with like dancers and cross-discipline stuff at which Glasgow is a lot more kind of you know has a bigger community of and um, than than so I was doing lots of gigs at the jazz bar in Edinburgh and that sort of thing, which really was pretty straight ahead jazz. And then it wasn't until I moved away, I kind of discovered, you know, free improvisation and, and using visuals and dance and that sort of stuff. Like I say, it's not, it's not to say that there's no one doing it where I lived, but I just, I wasn't connected to any of those circles. And that's why being in London, it's like, 
you're given the whole world on a plate and you can like choose your own yeah. adventure you know and look at what about yourself yeah well by by the time i discovered jazz um 101 years after kim's birth <laughs> um i uh, was really lucky because i i was in glasgow which yeah i think does have a uh slightly more diverse cultural output in the art scene i'm just gonna say that i mean come for me cancel me i don't care <laughs> um because i think it does um and i think that's maybe because there's just like a lot you know there's the conservatoire there so you have like loads of different courses happening there loads of different universities offering different things mm -hmm. there's a really good like club scene in glasgow with like you know sub club and the arches and the berkeley suite and that and that kind of ties into like the people you meet they're in the art school of course um so there's a lot going on and for me the jazz scene that i came onto was really really exciting because there was a real diversity of music and people it was mostly due to the conservatoire being in glasgow i think um but i remember it being a really exciting time and specifically this little bar in the kind of west end of glasgow called duke's bar where there was like a thursday night session it was free it was like packed out with young people coming to see jazz which just wasn't a thing before um and you'd have bands like you know so you'd have that and then you'd have like bands like strata graham costello's thing starting at block which was like a, a venue that wasn't a jazz venue necessarily and like people were just pushing the boat out and then the scene people like rebecca vastman turning up at, you know who had come from the edm kind of house dj scene and yeah. now we're playing records and jazz clubs you know it was a really exciting time I, I was just very lucky that that was the time in which I was finding my feet and it just so happened that there was a bit of a change in there um and then coming to London it was just like even more of that you know it was like the London scene was already becoming more and more diverse and accessible to it already had styles. that sort of push yeah I think so yeah it, it happened in London previous and and yeah, it was just it's just a really exciting time, really. Like for me, jazz is just like it's such a small word word for such a big thing, mm -hmm. um, and I don't even like think about it too much. I'm just like there was lots of stuff happening. It was great fun, lots of great people, and I've always kept in touch with all the all the musicians I love in Scotland and played with them and worked up there, and that's always been important to me. You know. Do you find working with collaborate working with collaborators from those scenes do you find that to be especially now in like covid times do you find yourself working more with people that are maybe outside of london um outside of england and working with people maybe in either in scotland or even around like europe or anywhere like that i just want to know if you've got any examples of of that at all from both of you i mean i did a lot of those horribly overdone little collaboration things didn't i um <laughs> and the first one that was with Corto Alto, Glasgow-based collective, who are just one of the most exciting bands to have come out of the Scottish scene, I think. And sure. I think they've nailed it in terms of putting, you know, Liam is so unapologetically Glaswegian and it's so beautiful. Like, he just loves <laughs> celebrating the fact that it's super DIY. They're not a big London-funded trendy shoreditch band there you know it was his flat in sucky hill street and they fucking nailed it and i i love that about them and i'm so blessed that i 
got to collaborate with them and that was one of the first ones so doing stuff like that was so beautiful and also it was so creatively done the way we did the video with like the screens and all that whereas um i yeah i collaborated with all kinds of people that i never would have before you know all all over the place which was beautiful but i do think now it's about taking the good bits of that and also going back to the world as it as we knew it so nothing will ever replace being in the room with people for me and that energy and that spontaneity and whether it's an audience or whether you're in the studio with people um but equally there's been amazing like like artistic kind of things that have happened where you know I've thought about working with like visual artists or projections or whatever like live streaming in a whole new way or whatever and that's definitely stuff that we can think about but for me it was like a great thing that kept me going but I'm ready to get back in the room with folk now I I don't know how you feel yeah I've I I found that this period of time has just been you know creatively barren for a long time like I um I mean the podcast for me is the most positive creative thing that's come out of of that time for me like I um you know in the two two or three years before covid um were kind of I found like a you know I'd found my momentum I found a balance of of work that I really liked so I was do you know I was traveling a massive amount and I was doing you know doing talks and panels and doing that sort of kind of activist thing within the arts and then and then working really with really interesting projects so I did, worked with some really interesting visual artists like Liz K Miller she'd created this amazing kind of circular way of of writing scores and she's a visual artist and we, so we did worked with her in some galleries and and worked with a statistician about how to take data sets and make them into scores and so doing you know really interesting work and then also and family band my quartet were, were starting to do more european stuff and recording an album we recorded an album just before lockdown hit i think february before we locked down in march um and so it felt like a little bit like running into a brick wall in terms of like using that momentum. And so I felt a little bit, uh, everyone was talking, you know, doing doing stream live streams and doing video stuff and that I couldn't really find my place in it. But also I was aware that I I didn't want to rush myself into something. Um, and so actually for me, it was a really useful time to A, stop being far too busy and like reassess what I want my life to look like when things get back to normal uh, but also you take time to do some writing but also a lot of just listening and watching and looking and doing all that stuff and actually being as comfortable as I could be with not not making stuff not producing things and trying to figure out what your self-worth is if you're not making stuff and churning it out um right yeah. and like yeah because no go ahead look go ahead I really resonate with that so much. Like, because, like, we all had to stop. Yeah. Really. At the start, we all had, we didn't, we didn't have even the ability of live streamer. The idea hadn't come yet. So, whatever it was. And we live in such a kind of product driven capitalist world that I still struggle. And I resonate with what you're saying, Kim. And I know we both had times where we just, stopped and took in and 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 thought what do i want my life to look like but yet there's still days where i'm like well what what do i have to show for what i've done you know there's no product you know especially like coming through conservatory training practicing an instrument for x amount of time a day whatever you know what do i have to show for what i've done and actually being comfortable with that 
with with not having that pressure is is maybe something that can bring liberation to other other creative parts yeah. of you which is how we've ended up doing the podcast and stuff for me certainly like you know? all as you know if so many of us have such unhealthy lives like i was traveling so much spending so much time in airports and hotels like it, you know not getting enough sleep kind of almost wearing mm. a really busy schedule is like a badge of honor because that means that you're succeeding yeah. um like i remember at one point being in like rotterdam or amsterdam and like having a day off or having most of a day off and like i really wanted to see the city but i just had to stay in my bed because i was exhausted and it was like stop if i if covid hadn't hit i would have that cycle would have continued not infinitely but for a period of time and when mm. when lockdown started it was the longest well this is the longest time i've been in london continuously since i moved here and it was such a useful time to just figure out like when things come back what am i now going to say no to that i used to say yes to like what 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 am i saying yes to these things for am i saying yes because i want to look busy or because i actually want to do the work so it was definitely like a period of discover me as like uh, less is more mentality you know that i hope i'm going to hold on to we don't all slip back into the yeah. bad habits when they come back you know it's, it's so interesting to think about the um, idea of like trying to pick and choose what you want to do creatively once you one thing goes back because unfortunately you know we live in a government where they're now saying if you're a creative if you're a creative maybe go find another job yep you should retrain <laughs> you know? and yeah you should retrain thanks thanks uh rishi yeah. uh really appreciate that and and from from my perspective as well i, I you know i'm a, I'm a full-time uh administrator at a law firm i do not take as much put in as much time into my creativities uh, my creative processes and my creative my music etc as i'd like and it's that idea of once things do start slowly going back into some normality i would personally want to see you know full-time creatives such as yourself really honing in on and, on and being able to say i want to work on this and it be you know just a great comeback for for musicians to put out a project or to put out a performance rather than necessarily being it's saddening to think that if we do go back to normal that everyone's like right i'm gonna have to do a million things at once yeah. i'm gonna have to put out an album i'm gonna have to do a tour i'm gonna have to do all this when in fact you know when you're going out after being you know after being locked in for over a year you want to be able to take that time to you spent that time reassessing how you go about your creative process when you come back you want to enact that without having much you know without being forced to do something else yeah. and i imagine that must be very frustrating to think that it's it could potentially be a, an upward a, an uphill battle for you when you go back into some sort of normality i think we're we're in this like this kind of accepted cycle of like album tour album tour album tour album tour and then you know take when we talked about george michael for example like he only did like five studio albums in in his life you know as a solo artist right and it like we all imagine there's this like we have to just create as much as we possibly can just have it out there just we have to be out there all the time and like it's i hope that people don't feel that pressure any anymore or don't feel it as keenly i think but to your point about like working at another job and then doing the creative stuff on the side like for me so I part of what I do is I work for Arts Council England so I'm I you know I 
assess funding applications, I make decisions on funding applications, I advise people how to get arts funding. For me, that was incredibly liberating because it allowed me the financial security to not say yes to every gig that I, that I was offered and to only pursue things that I really wanted to do. Now, as a result, I feel like the artist that I think I am inside is is more clearly understood on the outside because I've been able to do that. And there's no way I would have, living in London, there's no way I would have been able to do that if I hadn't had some kind of form of financial security. And actually, we've talked, Luke and I have talked about this before, the kind of the pitfalls of, of studying at a conservatoire, which is just so focused on a really specific thing, is if you don't end up being a full-time performer, there's this sense of failure um you, you've not used your training properly but actually there are a million and one different variants of what your life could look like and be enriched by you know creativity in some way and actually for me certainly balancing it with doing something else you connected but not you know necessarily the same thing is like has improved me like immeasurably in terms of what I'm putting out there this is why I think Kim is one of the most inspiring people I know because for me, like as someone that's just about to graduate from the conservatoire experience to hear that and that it's possible is such like, I honestly just needed to hear that. Cause I like, this is like the season of my final recital and like I live with the conservatoire and like everyone I know that's my age and in my position is just like, hustling like taking every gig da, 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 da. and I sometimes think I'm a freak because I I try and kick back against that because I'm like oh I really would just like some days where I can like go and see an exhibition or like or I, I I'm when I graduate I'd really love just like a real a normal job in inverted commas and then I keep my creative bits for stuff that I really love and stuff that's me so you know it's actually very liberating but yeah there's a part of you that wants to go oh no you're a sellout because you're not doing that one thing all the time and making all your money from it which is just unrealistic anyway so yeah it's, it's great to hear i did my first gig back a week ago last monday and it was a sold out gig and and everyone fucking loved it like they were so up for it and then i went to the theater the next night and it was everyone stood up a standing ovation at the end and like everything i've been to has been so full of energy and full of life i think people are hungry for it of course people need nourishment from the arts otherwise what is there in life you know even the, even your it. description of it just it, it does instill some emotion in me because i'm like yeah I, I, the idea of being able to stand up and applaud a performance is yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. itself a foreign concept right very now. moving it's yeah very moving. and what was so what was the setup like for these not only your gig but also the theater what was the sort of setup for those in terms it's of like just covid in terms of covid yeah well just in terms of what they do and, and how they well yes yeah, so organize well it. i guess it's reduced capacity and and you take temperatures on the door and it's track and trace and all mm -hmm. that and kim probably knows far more about this than me because she programs the venue <laughs> i don't really know what the the regulations are but you know it, it, i'm just happy that it's happening i almost think you know because it looks like maybe things won't get as eased as quickly as we hope on june the 21st but i'm like I'd rather have this right now for longer, you know what I mean? Than like yeah. rush into it. Like the way thing, just having things to go to is beautiful. Like even like the local bars around me have opened up again and like drag queens are out working, doing cabaret shows again. It's like these people, these are whole swathes of 
artists that we forget about you know like and and where yeah. you know live context is so important so yeah definitely I, if people can go out and do their thing yeah, yeah. no i agree i think it's I mean, it's tricky for anyone that's putting stuff on any venue or gallery or theatre or whatever. Reduced reduced capacity means your margins are just so tight, and mm. there's this. It becomes so tight that it's a question of should we just not bother or should we do it? Um, but like Luca says, every what like uh, the venue that I run that we've been yeah running reduced capacity, and every show's been sold out because people are desperate for some kind of collective experience. This is what we've this is what we've lost is any kind of collective experience. Collective socialising, collect you know, any sort of thing. Like when I, I went to the Royal Academy to see Tracy M in exhibition. Honestly, I like I've even to the point where I've only basically just been in my house. We've been in the studio a couple of times. Just to be in a different building was exciting enough. You know, but just to be like around people having a collective experience. I basically, you know, I was inches away from just licking all the paintings because I was so excited to be in a space. Um, <laughs> and like, I maybe a few months ago or a year ago, the thought of having that experience, but all these extra caveats on it. So, yes, you can go to a gig, but you got to have your temperature checked. You've got to sit at a special table. You've got to wear a mask. Maybe at that point, I would have thought, oh, do you know what? I won't bother. But now we've had, we, we're. Get going. undernourished <laughs> you know we're dead we've done all the li- i never want to see a live stream of anything ever again in my entire life but it was it, it's helped us through this period but i think everyone's just desperate to just be in the same space as each other maybe touch each other now and again you know 100 percent. i think i think this is why i think everyone's so cautious about the news coming out right now about like indie various etc because it's like any moment they could just be like right okay let's just yeah. hold, hold everything back again and you're like oh for oh, fuck's so sake. close i know yeah i know and it's, it's i think it's frustrating as well because there are people that are saying you know we shouldn't be locked down again and all that and there's various arguments as to why we did in the first place why we did in the second wave and etc and you can argue against it or for it at the end of the day i think the baseline is is that the more times you lock down it's that the more people the more upset people are going to get and it's it's, it's it's so difficult to find that that balance of making sure we are able to do the things we want and being able to stay alive in some yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, being being safe. But also, I think for us, like, our risk level's pretty low, right? We could get no vaccinations mm. and go around, like, just playing massive games of Twister and, and just biting each other. We probably would be fine, most of us. <laughs> but the point is that, like, we have to... Is that, is that how you like to justify it? Yes. <laughs> that's how I spend most yeah. of my weekends. But that but like that's not we have to think beyond ourselves right and understand that there's something beyond us and so it's it's really easy to get frustrated about these things but like you know it's if we think about where we're at in this country in terms of vaccinations and then you think about india or countries that are just absolutely decimated because they don't have vaccinations it's very easy for us to be annoyed because i can't go to like wembley stadium when it's packed to see a gig but like i think we sometimes have to just have a bit of perspective if we have to go into lockdown again you know that's okay i've I've what i've really learned the best thing i learned is to is to not base my like enjoyment of life on looking forward to things in the future I always used to have things like plugged into my diary and like if I was having a bad day, I would be like, oh, it's okay though because I've got that to look forward to and that would be lovely. And that like 
this lock- lockdown's completely wiped that out. But it's actually been really healthy for me because what I've learned to do is like roll with the punches a lot more. And so if mm. if we go into lockdown, it's okay because you know I'm I'm ready for that, and I'm not like clinging on to like June twenty first because I realise that that it might not happen. You know. Well, also like finding contentment in the here and now, right? There's so open your eyes. There's so much, you know, and then feeling shitty and allowing yourself to feel yep. shitty as well. You know, it's it's all part of it. It's all up. I think I think it's okay to say you're. You know, I was actually having this conversation with my parents, and we were talking about how because Glasgow as a city is currently in in a tier where we can't, yeah, you know, go go in for a drink or we can't go to the cinema or we can't do these certain things and maybe people have booked those a, a few weeks beforehand thinking oh everyone's going to be in the same level it's going to be fine um and these things change i think it's as you said kim it's absolutely important that we have this almost like a lowering of expectations in a way um yeah you, you raise your expectations so much you're only going to be led to disappointment and i think we've learned so much from this in that we, we we're grateful for what we have in the moment rather than what we're going to be in a few weeks time because by all by this current in this current climate we can't guarantee what will happen in a few weeks time we go for it day by day at, at this at this moment i think living in the moment is the overarching it, thing it is it's it? a great it's, like it's a great to, <laughs> it's a, just a great philosophy you've got to be yeah oh. yeah um okay i think what we'll do just now is i think we've just had a wonderful conversation just talking we've started we started at how the podcast be, how the podcast began your humble beginnings um and we've ended on sort of what's happening just now and i think that's a good sort of way that we want to we want to end this on and looking forward to living in the moment yeah what i do want to get on to though and this is the final segment that we do uh, at the end of every show is our recommendation of the week um okay. so i would love i don't know whether you both planned this together or of what you did or you did an individual recommendation i, I not shaking heads that's fine so we don't, plan, we don't plan anything together <laughs> never never we don't actually no, speak we don't. right so kim if, if you want to give me your recommendation that would be lovely sure well my recommendation um is a very easy one uh luca's doing a gig at ronnie's on the 28th of june and at Ronnie Scott's in London. And my recommendation is that we all go to that and have a really lovely time and an espresso martini. Um, I think that John and Matt from our prison abolition episode, the three of us are going to go on a little uh, treble date to see Luca. Oh, lovely. Uh, I had no idea about this. I'm so <laughs> gassed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, my, that's my recommendation. There you go. Take it. <laughs> Luca, uh, if you have a recommendation... Well, my recommendation is is a bit difficult because I I think it's sold out. But I just the sun today just reminded me that in September I'll be going to Mighty Hoopla Festival, oh, wow. um, and I cannot wait. It's a day festival in Brockwell Park, celebrating lots of. Um, it's put on by Sink the Pink, who are amazing like queer London promoters, and Jimmy Somerville's one of the headliners, who's just like my scottish london gay icon and um yeah i just i'm really looking forward to like getting sweaty and sunburn dancing to disco and at a festival again so that's my recommendation if you can do that anywhere in the world wherever you are do it because that's what i'm going to be doing brilliant 
Alright, well, there we go. I'll put all the links to, to, to especially to Lucas' show. That'll be in the show notes. Love Great. it. <laughs> Thank you. Right, thanks very much, guys. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, bye.